0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, November the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 3.15 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I know, I know that tomorrow is Thanksgiving here in the United States of America. And I know today is one of the, I think it is the busiest travel day of the entire year. So people are traveling, people are preparing for Thanksgiving, people are, there's just so much going on. So I'm always, whenever I reach this day in my podcasting timeline each year, always, not just this day, really this entire week, really this entire season, really basically from Thanksgiving all the way to after New Year's, there's like a, there's a period of time there where it just becomes very, very, very uh, frustrating and doing the podcast. It it really is because there's a part of me that just says, well, it's, it's the, you know, the holiday season. It's that time. So I, I'm just going to kick back and I'm just going to watch movies or I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to relax. But then there's another part of me that goes, wait a minute. This is the time of season where A lot of people are traveling or they have time off. I know what I'll do. I'll make sure I record extra episodes. But then I realize, well, wait a minute. They're not going to use that time to listen to extra episodes of a podcast. They're going to use that time to do some of the things I want to do. Okay, so then I won't record. But then if I don't record, then I feel bad that I didn't record because then I'll think there's someone out there during the holiday time. And I always see this who just, they either feel alone, they feel depressed, they feel discouraged. Uh, maybe maybe their favorite podcast or their favorite radio talk show, whatever. The people aren't producing any new episodes, and they just feel kind of isolated and alone. Now, well, I I, I don't want them to be out there feeling that way. I know what. I'll turn on the microphone and at least. Let them know that I'm I'm there with them. So it's just like all of these. I know, I know you don't really care about any of this, but it's just, it's maddening to me and I get really, 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 really frustrated. So I don't know where you are. I don't even know when you will hear this. I don't know if you even care to hear any new episodes right now, but either way, I'm here in the studio. I'm in front of the microphone yet. We've yet to have, no one has yet given me the definitive answer. Should I say I'm in front of the microphone or behind the microphone, which is it in front or behind you, you tell me. What's the correct terminology? I think most people say behind the microphone, but I'm sitting here looking at the microphone and I'm clearly in front of it, okay, so I don't know, but I'm here behind the microphone in front of the microphone, and uh, I thought we would take some time this afternoon. Now, this evening, I'll be at Victory Baptist Church. We'll be live streaming starting at 7 p.m. It will be somewhat of an interesting, it'll be an interesting service tonight because the whole night will be dedicated to the Lord's Supper. First teaching on the Lord's Supper where I will be correcting and apologizing for maybe the way I've approached the subject in the past. Our discussion on law and gospel has made me realize that I think I have approached it in an incorrect way in the past. So I'll be apologizing for that and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and we'll probably just stream everything. We're going to we're going to do the Lord's Supper in a very different way tonight. Uh, A lot of times we kind of, there's music or maybe we're singing scripture songs. It's going to be just the scripture and the Lord's Supper. And uh, hopefully, hopefully it will, it will, I I don't know. Hopefully you'll find something positive in that, but that will start at 7 p.m. tonight coming to you live from Victory Baptist Church. But before I get in my car and drive there, we have to talk about something that I think is very important. And I, and I don't, again, once again, because it's a holiday week, it's the, the, It's so weird that the the podcasting numbers and the emails, it it makes you just question, what am I even doing? Is anybody even like, it really makes you question. It's just, it's, you may not understand, but it's bizarre. So obviously for the today's focus for this week, or well, at least for the last two days, we've been looking at Exodus 33 and 34. And it all started because of a podcast episode from Love Worth Finding, which is the Basically, podcast. I guess we'll call it the podcast ministry of the late Adrian Rogers. They take his messages and then, uh, you know, put them into like, what, 30-minute segments and then do it like a radio program, but it's a podcast that it also airs on Christian radio around the country. And so I got ready to listen to one one early morning, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and it was about practicing the presence of God, practicing the presence of God and that was already interesting enough because it's just that you know to me when i hear that practicing the presence of god what does that mean it feels to me it's one of those kind of christian clichés there's lots of there's lots of terminology a lot of clichés we use within the christian world that everyone just seems willing to accept and repeat but sometimes people cannot really articulate exactly what is meant by the phrase. It's just like Christians say it. And then when you really push to go, well, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? What? It, how does that work? What, what? Where does that go if we take it to its logical conclusion? And you know, I'm always asking those questions. And uh, so in one hand, it's interesting just because it's some like, what does that mean to practice the presence of God? But it became clear in the uh, message, and I didn't listen to much of it, but but the little part that we have reviewed, and the little part I did listen to, that it was going to be using Exodus 33 and 34 to talk about the practice of the presence of God and Moses, and it became clear that he was going to use Exodus 33 and 34 not so much to focus on the historical narrative and to see the description of what happened, but to really use it more as a prescriptive, as Exodus 33 and 34 is prescribing how we are to do things and make it about us, which calls into question that hermeneutic and that approach to scripture. So, I did two. Today's focus on it, I hope you go listen to both. The first one kind of began a a brief introduction to the sermon, and a a bit to the topic, and then today we looked at Exodus 33 verses 1 through 6. I offered some very important questions, and hopefully you'll go back and listen to to both of those. But for this remainder of our time. And I don't know how long I'm going to stay on the air because I want to finish this. We're going to be reviewing the late Pastor Adrian Rogers. As he talks about the practice of the presence of God on Exodus from Exodus 33 and 34, we're going to ask hermeneutical questions, biblical questions, theological questions, but most importantly, we're just going to try to sit back and enjoy learning and and challenging and listening and thinking about things related to the scriptures. And I hope you are okay with that. So, Wherever you may be, maybe you're traveling, maybe this will find someone and it will prove to be beneficial. All right, I hope you're ready. Let's begin now.
0: When we practice the presence of God, the proof is
1: written all over our faces. Here- now let's stop right there. We talked about this on today's Focus, but let me talk about it here again. When we practice the presence of God, it's written all over our faces. Now, if you know Exodus 33 and 34, you know immediately they've taken this historical narrative where Moses' face, you know, was was basically glowing and they're now just made it about us. So you and I, if we practice the presence of God, it'll be written all over our faces. Well, what does it mean to practice the presence of God? What, how do we do this? So if, if all Christians will practice the presence of God, it will be written on our faces Now, obviously, they don't mean it as literal as it was in Exodus 33 and 34. So somehow now it's figuratively written on our face based off what? what? So, all right, you already see kind of how they're going to loosely handle these two chapters.
0: Here's Adrian Rogers.
2: Moses had an encounter with God. He had experienced the presence of God to such a degree that his face literally shone. To the degree that he had to wear a veil over his face, there was a time when that glow faded, but Moses continued to wear the veil. This time, to keep people from knowing that the glory of God is no longer there. And I'm just wondering if we don't have some deacons like that, some Sunday school teachers like that, some who are listening by radio. Inwardly, you know that you're hiding behind some kind of a veil. Well, let me give you some steps. What to do when the glow is gone?
1: Okay, so all he's taking Exodus 33 and 34, and the whole way this episode is designed is clearly, it's all about us. I mean, Moses and all of the people in Exodus 33 and 34 are just really secondary. We insert ourselves. So on one hand, if we'll practice the presence of God, our face will glow. It'll be written on our face. However, there are times where Before you know it, we've lost that glow and then we hide ourselves behind a veil. We hide ourselves behind some kind of disguise so that no one will know that we have lost the presence of God. And so he's going to give us steps so we can get our glow back so that we can. And again, all of this just becomes like somehow that Exodus 33 and 34 is prescribing something for us. Then is that even remotely accurate? Is that even a remotely faithful way of handling the text? It preaches good. It sounds good. But is that the way we should handle the text? Well, we're about to find out how he's going to handle it over the next 24 minutes of him teaching. And then you've got my (laughs) discussion with it. I don't know how far we're going to get, but let's just sit back and hopefully we'll see. Here we go. Open up your Bibles, if you can, to Exodus 33 and 34, and let's see what's going to happen.
0: Welcome to Love Worth Finding, featuring the timeless truth of the gospel, presented in the teaching of pastor and author Adrian Rogers. In Exodus 33, God shined his glory upon the prophet Moses' face, yet he lost the glow over time. As Christians, we are temples of God. The Lord lives and dwells in us. But many are not aware of the presence of God in their lives, and we lose our glow.
1: All right, now these are just basic questions. I asked them on today's Focus. I'm going to ask them again here because every time I hear this, the exact same questions come to my mind. So let me make sure I understand how this works. Okay, so, so if we practice the presence of God, we get the glow, but we can lose the glow. However, we actually have God living inside of us. But even though God is living inside of us, we may not be aware that he's living inside of us. So then we somehow lose the glow. So God can be in me, but I won't have the glow. So clearly this is going to turn into, okay, God is in you and God wants to give you the glow, but there are 13 steps you have to take in order to get the glow and keep the glow because God in you is not sufficient to give you the glow. I mean, God God in you gives you the potential for the glow, but the only way to get the glow is now you have to do something. And it's always just an interesting way Christians do this. On one hand, God is the one who's supposed to be the work working. God is the one who's supposed to be all powerful. But over and over and over and over again, we find out that God may be all powerful. God may be in us, but he's really incapable of doing anything until we do step one, two, three, four, five, six. You do those six steps, then all of a sudden, God activates. All of it, like, God is like, um, He's like this superpower inside of you, right? He's there and he wants to guide you and he wants to do this and he wants to do this and he wants to do this. But what you have to do is you've got to punch in the code, right? Right. You got to punch in the code, but it's not as easy as punching in the code because to actually punch in the code, each number in the code is a step of something you have to do. You have to pray more. You have to read more. You have to study more. You have to go to church more. You have to tithe more. You have to be nice to people. You have to love. You got, now, if you do all of these things, dun, 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 the code is punched in. It is unlocked. And now the power of God is released. And it's like, well, wait a minute. So am I the power? Is God the power? And if I've already done it, then why do I need God's power? Like, how do we process this? Like, on one hand, God's supposedly the one who is doing it through us and for us. But then on the other hand, we say God won't do it for us and through us until we do certain steps. And it's really just, I I, I don't know. It's just, it becomes, it becomes really maddening. But let's just see, maybe he's going to to explain it in a way that no one has ever explained. And it's going to make perfect sense.
0: This passage reveals how to restore it. If you have your Bible, turn now to Exodus chapter 33, as Adrian Rogers shares how to practice the
1: presence of God. Now, please note what they just said, that Exodus 33 and 34 is there to teach us how to restore God's glow. Like, like, that's what Exodus 33 and 34 all magically has now been transformed into. It's about us. It Now, Exodus 33 and 34 is a prescription for you to get the glow back. Did you know that? I didn't know. I didn't know what Exodus 33 and 34 was. I didn't know that. Now, I'm not saying there are lessons for us, but they just turned the entire text is not a historical narrative describing what occurred at that time. No, it's prescribing what we are to do to get the glow back.
2: Would you be finding in God's Word uh, the book of Exodus chapter 33, and when you found it, uh, look up here and let me tell you that we're talking about how to practice the presence of God. When we worship our Lord, we're to worship in spirit and in truth, but worship is not uh, in a particular locale. Worship is anywhere that we breathe the name of Jesus. We are temples of God. The Lord lives in us and dwells in us. But I'm afraid that many of us are not conscious of the presence of God in our lives. We do.
1: Okay, so on one hand, God is literally inside of us. He's literally inside of me. But I can live a life of not being conscious of it. He's literally there, but I can live a life where I'm not conscious of it. I mean, that is at least an interesting dynamic. God has literally moved inside of me, but I can live a life completely unaware of that reality, not even conscious of it. So, so even though God is in me, he he will he can't make me conscious of it, like. Like, I have to do something to make myself conscious of it because God in me, he can't make me conscious of it. You think God being in me, God would then work in me so that I would be conscious of it. But it seems like God literally can move in. The the creator of the universe, the omnipotent, immutable, you know, omniscient God can literally be inside of me, but I can be completely not conscious of that fact. That, I mean... I don't know, does does that, maybe it makes sense to you. It may make perfect sense to you. I'm just baffled by how that could work. I mean, I would think, I mean, typically if something even, if a squirrel gets inside our house, if just a squirrel gets inside of your house, something that's small, a rat, it usually only takes a little while before you're like, I think something's in the house. Wait, what's that sound? I hear something in the wall. I think we have a rat. I think we have a squirrel. Something that's, you would think the, the creator of the universe inside of you. How could you not be conscious of that? Now, you could argue that many of us live like we're not conscious of it. So what would God consciousness, in a sense, quote unquote, what does God quote, uh, consciousness look like for a believer who says, I know God is in me. I know God is in me. What, does that make us t- like, okay, let's just see where he takes this. You, you see, I have more questions than I have answers.
2: Do the best we can. We have certain uh, duties that we perform. We have certain rituals that we go through. We have certain beliefs that we adhere to. But God is not a bright, burning, living reality in our lives. Now we're going to be in the Old Testament, but don't think that because we're in the Old Testament that that doesn't apply to you. The Bible says clearly and plainly concerning those Old Testament saints that the things that happen to them happen to them, that they might be
1: examples to us. And what we have here is a... That's always such, to me, uh, a trick. Hey, the Bible says that, uh, there's, that that the Old Testament saints were examples to us, so now you just take any text and just make it about you. I don't think that that's the point. They can be an example to us for, for many ways. We, they're an example to us of the reality of human depravity. They're an example of us, of God's grace and mercy. I mean, it doesn't mean that I then go to Exodus 33 and 34 and go, well, see, Moses is an example to me in this passage. So therefore, the passage is about me. I think that that's just, that is just a, that's a horrible abuse of that concept. It's, it's a horrible abuse of it. And and then what we do is then take these stories and then so obliterate, I think, the actual meaning. And then we force ourselves into the text where, I, I just, I don't, mm, I have some major issues there, but may, maybe, maybe he's gonna handle this in such a way that by the time it's over, I'm gonna be like, you know what, that's the way you do it. I'm going I'm gonna hold out hope, we will see.
2: A lesson in the life of Moses. Moses had an encounter with God. The presence of God was so real in Moses' life that his face literally, not figuratively, but literally shown. He had seen God to such...
1: Okay, now, here here would be my question. If you're going to make this about us, then if I practice the presence of God, then why doesn't my face literally glow? I mean, if you're saying this is not figurative, it literally happened... And then you're going to somehow make it about me. Well, if I'm going to make it about me, why wouldn't it literally do the same thing? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not literal anymore. It's literal then, but it's not literal now. It was a literal glow then, but it's not a literal glow now. Oh, Okay, so, but somehow it still applies. And so if it's a, so he had a literal glow and he had to put a veil over his face. So if I get the figurative glow, am I to put a figurative veil over my face? Like how, how do how do you make this? It's just amazing how preachers can take any story in the Bible and just somehow, in many cases, destroy the actual meaning of the text to, to, to turn it into an allegory or a, or a principle for us. And it, but without staying true to the actual words of the text
2: a degree, or at least he had experienced the presence of God, to such a degree that the life of God was so in him that his face literally shone, to the degree that he had to wear a veil over his face uh, when he would go out into public. And he would take the veil off of his face when he would go in to speak face to face with the Lord. And the people knew when Moses spoke that Moses had a message from God because of his shining face. Now, the sad thing is this, that Moses lost the glow. There was a time when that glow faded, but Moses continued to wear the veil. This time, not to veil the glory of God, but now he's wearing the veil to keep people from knowing that the glory of God is no longer there. And I'm just wondering if we don't have some deacons like that, some Sunday school teachers like that. Some
1: of. Now, I'm just going to leave this to you. I'm not, I'm not going to do this right now on the air. Can you look in the text? And, and if anyone wants to participate in this, again, I know it's the holiday weekend, but if you want to participate, email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com and show me in the text. Right. Just 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 to see if you can find it, where the text specifically says that he lost the glow and he wore the veil so that nobody would know that he lost it. And and what 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 could we do with that? What should we do with that? All right. Do, do, does the text say why he lost it? And if he lost it, was it a bad thing that he lost it? And why did he and, and, and the text saying he continued to wear the veil to deceive all the people? Why did he continue to try to deceive all the people?
2: you in this auditorium and some who are listening by radio, that there was once a time when God was very real to you and you still go through the motions. I don't know what veil it is that you are wearing, but you're still outwardly saying, yes, Jesus is real and precious to me. But inwardly you know that you're hiding behind some kind of a veil. Well, let me give you some steps to make God real. To get the glow back, what to do when the glow is gone? Number one, there must be determination. There must be a determination. That-
1: okay. So, so the the premise is Moses lost it. That's a bad thing that he lost it. The second bad thing was he put he kept the veil on to cover it up. So, number one, losing it is bad. Number two, wearing a veil to keep everyone to fool everyone is bad. And that we do the same thing. We lose it and then we cover it up some way. So now he's going to tell us how we get it back, how we get it back. Now, remember, God is in us, but now I got to get it back. I got to get it back. So God is in me. Now I've got to do something. I've got to demonstrate determination if I'll be determined to get it back. All right. I'm, I've got to show determination going to be in- interesting to see. He's not hes not doing a lot of quoting of the scriptures here. Are, isn't that kind of interesting? I, I, I'm going to leave that to you. I'm going to leave it to you. I'm going to leave it to you. I'm, I'm pulling out some of our Bible study exercise concepts here where I don't give you all the answers, and I'm not telling you whether I know the answer or don't know the answer. I'm just leaving it to you. I, I, oh, I can't wait to see what people come up with here, all right? But, all right, so determination. My determination I got to do something. All right, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to get the globe back? What do I have to be to? De- I just, I guess right now we just start with, I've just got to be determined to get it back. He, I guess he's going to, he'll he'll put the direction for the determination here in a second. But let's see what he says about our determination and see if he takes it from Exodus 33 and
2: 34. You will have God in your life. Look in chapter 33, verses one through four. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. God said, I made a promise. I'm going to keep my promise, Moses. And so get up and go into the land. And then notice verse 2. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and go into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now notice this, and I have it underlined in my Bible, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God says, now Moses, I have promised you the land, you're going to get the land. I'm going to send an angel, a mighty angel, to go before you. He's going to drive these Canaanites out. But Moses, I am not going to go with you. I'll give you victory. I'll give you success. I'll give you the land. But you won't have my presence. Now, when God said that to Moses, the people mourned, and rightly they mourned, because they had enough sense to know that Without God, what good is the rest of it? What good is the land without the Lord? What good is the victory without the victor? What good is the blessing without the blesser? What good is the gifts, are the gifts without the giver? And so the people said, we're not going to settle for an angel. Moses is speaking to the Lord. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And what Moses is saying is, Lord, I'm not going without you. Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going.
1: Now, this is bizarre. Okay, I am trying to follow this logic. So according to him, Moses' face shone, he lost the glow, and he wore the veil to hide it from everyone. Now... Adrian Rogers is going to give us the steps to get the glow back, but he doesn't go to the text where Moses supposedly has lost the glow. He goes back really before the discussion of Moses' face shining, unless the discussion of Moses' face shining happens earlier in Exodus, and I'm missing it, but I believe that the, the discussion of his face shining is in 34. If I believe it is. I believe it's in 34. Um I believe it's in 34. So he, but what he wants to say is, okay, Moses lost the glow, and the way you get it back is determination. And then he jumps in the text back before Moses loses the glow and says, see the determination. But that determination would have nothing to do with Moses getting the glow back because you're, you're dealing before he loses the glow. Do you, you, you see, like, if you're going to use Exodus as your text, okay, Let me try to explain this. I want to make sure that that this is clear here because I'm completely perplexed. All right. So let's try to, let's try to just try to follow me because I, because I am confused. You may, this, this, you may not even have a problem with this. I think most people sitting in church would not even have a problem with this, but I have major problems. All right. So here's the issue. He starts a sermon and he wants us to look at the life of Moses, that Moses practiced the presence of God. As a result of practicing the presence of God, his face was aglow. His face was glowing. It was so bright that he had to wear a veil because the people were frightened by it. But at some point, he loses the glow, which Adrian Rogers has made it very clear that's a bad thing and that we lose the glow as well. But then Moses did another bad thing. He continued to wear the veil to discuss, so because he didn't want any, anyone to know that he lost the glow. So then Adrian Rogers was like, how do you get it back? Well, I'm going to show you how you got it back. Well, you think what he would do is then show me how Moses got it back, right? He would He would show me how did Moses get it back? But he doesn't go to the text that tells me that Moses lost it and continue to wear the velta to see people. No, he goes back before that discussion and says, see, there's determination there. Well, what does that have to do with Moses losing the glow? You're going back in the text before there's even a discussion about Moses' face glowing in the first place. Wouldn't you have to go in the text where it's after Moses loses the glow and then we see the steps Moses takes to get it back? Does the text record Moses getting it back? Does the text record Moses confessing that he was hiding it? Do, do, do we see any of this? It's like he's using Moses as the example and then just going back to something that's not even related to the story. Like, what? I don't even know what you call this kind of preaching. It's just, I don't know, use the text any way you want to use it? Let's see what else he's going to say here. You know, I
2: think many of us would have settled for... Uh what God said to uh, Moses, many of us would say, Lord, uh, you promised me eternal life. I've got eternal life. You promised me heaven. (laughs) I've got heaven. You promised me that you would see me through. You're going to see me through. Thank you for the angel, Lord. Thank you for heaven, Lord. Thank you for eternal security, Lord. And that's what you'd settle for you would settle for that without the conscious presence of god i want to beg you not to do it
1: Amen. okay so that now so now what he's doing okay well, he's he's forgotten moses really quick all right so here here's what we supposedly can do in our christian life we can say okay god you'll give me eternal life you'll give me this you'll give me this you'll give me that that's fine i don't need your presence and he says that some of us settle for that. Well, well, wait a minute. How can a Christian settle for not having the presence of God if God supposedly indwells us? If God indwells us, isn't he always present right there in us? So I guess what he's saying is that we can live a Christian life in such a way where we're like, thank you for heaven. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for giving my sins. Thank you for the imputed righteousness. But I'm not interested in your presence. Even though you're inside of me, I'm going to live my life not conscious of it. So because what do, you, what do you mean that we, we, would, be, we would settle with, with, with not having the presence of God? How can we, if you're a Christian, how can you not have the presence of God since God's presence is supposedly inside of you? And I, I, I am so, this is so baffling how he's handling this text. Let, let's see where he goes. You know what that's like?
2: That's like a husband and wife who remain married but separate and he provides for her. He says, all right, I'll pay your rent. I'll buy your groceries. I'll cut the grass, but we're not going to live together. Friend, do you want that kind of a relationship with God? Do you want what God will give without having God himself? Or are you saying, I am not satisfied with separate maintenance. I want to know the Lord intimately. So there must be, there must be a determination. Now, secondly, there
1: All right. So, so somehow he doesn't tell me how Moses is getting this back, but supposedly for you and me, what we have to do is like, man, the glow is gone. Oh man. Uh, Turn off the lights. The party's over. It's over, it's over, man. My glow is gone. I got to get it back. So I've got to be determined. I am determined. I want God. I want God. I want God. Now God supposedly is in me, but I want his presence. Uh, You think he's already? uh, Okay. But somehow I've got to be determined. All right don't really know exactly how this determination works don't really know how this supposedly translates into anything practical but okay we will just write it down to get the glow back even though now he's obliterated yeah he's not even showing us how moses got it back but okay we have to be determined we have to be determined so you can just write down determination to get the glow back all right now here comes step number two must be
2: preparation let's go to the next chapter
1: all right, second there must be preparation. There must be determination. There must be preparation. So you have to prepare for the glow's return. You got to be determined to get the glow back. Now you got <laughs> Man, even saying some of this stuff it sounds literally ridiculous. Okay, but now I got to prepare for the return of the glow. But 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 in a roundabout way he's replaced the glow with the presence of God. But i got to be determined to get the presence of God. But again, God is supposed to be already inside of me. And now I've got to prepare for God. However, God is supposed to already be inside of me. So I'm having a hard time understanding exactly how this correlates to my life. But okay, so now we're going to jump to 34. So now maybe, maybe this is going to show us how Moses gets it back. How Moses gets the glow back. Okay, let's see how he gets the glow back. Moses
2: says, Lord, Listen. We're not going to take second best. (laughs) We don't want an angel. We want you. And so now the Lord is ready to give them what they want. So look, if you will, in uh, chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning... And come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount.
1: Okay, now he's going to Exodus 34. Again, this appears to be before Moses has lost the glow. So I don't know why you're going to Exodus 34 to tell me how to get the glow back when you're relying on the text before Moses ever lost it. But okay, okay, okay. I'm trying to follow the logic. Okay, I'm trying to follow the logic. But okay. So now here's what we're going to do. So now, again, this is about Moses. This is about what God tells Moses, but now it's going to be about us. So what we're going to have to do is we have to now prepare ourselves. We need determination and we need preparation. All right, what are we going to prepare for? So do so in a figurative way, do we go to Mount Sinai and prepare ourselves? Like, well, I don't know. What am I going to prepare myself for? Let's see what this is going to turn into.
2: Now, God had already given Moses the Ten Commandments one time. Moses came down and found the people dancing around a golden calf. And in anger, Moses broke those two tablets of stone. God was ready to say to the people, I, my presence is not going to go with you. Moses said, oh Lord, I've got to have your presence. And so God says, all right, Moses, get your two more tablets. And get ready and come up on the mountain and I am going to deal with you one more time. Now, if you expect the presence of God, you need to do what Moses did and what God told Moses to do. Look at it in verse 2, be ready in the morning. Be ready in the morning. Don't carelessly, casually, haphazardly seek the presence of God. God does business with those that mean business. Did you know the Bible speaks of preparing your heart to seek the Lord? Let me give you two scriptures that you might jot down. These were very meaningful to me. One deals with a man named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam did not have the presence of God. And here's what the Bible says about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, and verse 14. And he did evil. Now, why did he do evil? Well, listen to it. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Now, is that not an interesting verse? He did evil, Rehoboam. Why? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. It doesn't even say that he did evil because he didn't seek the Lord. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. There must be preparation. You must be ready. Or right, let me give you the converse of that now in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 3. Now, this speaks of a man named Jehoshaphat, a good man. And in 2 Chronicles 19, verse 3, God said to Jehoshaphat, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, that is, the places of pagan worship, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. Do you see the emphasis that God makes upon preparation? You prepare yourself uh, to seek the Lord. And I hope that when you tomorrow morning... When you have your quiet time with God, that you'll prepare your heart, that you'll get away, that you'll close the door. And we're going to say more about that later on, that you will get uh, proper ventilation, that you will get a a readable Bible, that you will get a notebook that you.
1: Okay, I'm starting to feel some 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 things we have to do. So, okay, so here's what we have to do. So to get the glow back. To get the presence of God back, we got to be determined, and then we got to prepare. So it sounds like what we have to do: we have to wake up in the morning, we have to have good ventilation, we have to have a good readable Bible. Uh, we have we have to there, there's there's all these things we have to do to get the glow back. We have to, we have to. This is a lot about what we do, what we do, what we do. All right, let, let's listen to this again.
2: Ventilation. That you will get a a readable Bible. That you will get a notebook. That you will come with uh, all of the distractions put away. And that you will say, God, I have but one business right now, and that is to prepare my heart to seek you.
1: Again, it is not a... So this is not even like, this is not even the quiet, this is not even the study time, this is not even the devotional time. You just got to do all this stuff to prepare first. You got to prepare by having the right place, the right time, the right Bible, the right notebook, obviously a pencil, and you got to do all... So you got to prepare first. You got to be determined. You got to prepare so, how do you get the glow back? You determine you have to have it back, and then you prepare yourself before your quiet time with the right place, right time, right ventilation, right Bible, right notebook, I guess, right attitude. And then you can get the glow back. Then you can get the presence back. Casual, haphazard
2: thing that will help you to have the conscious presence of God. There must be determination. You must say, God, I will not take your blessings without you. I don't want any angel. I need you. Determination. Number two, preparation. Be ready in the morning. And I pray God you will be ready in the morning. Now here's the third thing. Uh, Determination, preparation. Number three, isolation. Look in verse 3, chapter 34, verse 3. And no man shall come up with thee. That
1: is Moses, it's just going to be you and me. All right, so, and again, he's giving all the things. <laughs> he's he's finding us scriptures that have nothing to do with what happened to after Moses lost the glow, but yet he's using this to tell us how to get the glow back because we don't want to be like Moses who lost the glow, all right? So I don't know why you're telling me. If Moses did all of this and still lost the glow, what's the conclusion? Like, oh, this is so, think about how totally messed up this is. This He's he's using this to tell us how to get the glow back, but these are all the things Moses did And he still lost the glow. So are you telling me Moses stopped being determined? Moses stopped preparing and Moses stopped isolating? So in other words, this is how you supposedly get the glow back. But wouldn't it be better to say this is how you get the glow in the first place? But if this is how you get the glow in the first place, why did Moses lose it? (laughs) Sometimes... Sometimes I don't, do preachers hear themselves? Well, look, what in the world is this turning in? Hey, so Moses lost the glow. We got to get it back. How do we get it back? Well, we look at all the things Moses did before he lost it. But if he did all of these things before he lost it, he still lost it even though he did these things. So this wouldn't even be a guarantee. Even if this is the steps to get it back, it wouldn't be a guarantee that we would keep it. Unless you say we have to maintain these, these things all the time, right? We have to perpetually constantly, personally, entirely, and exactly be determined, prepare, and isolate. And if we'll do those three things, then we can, get, we can get, the, get, get the glow, keep the glow, and never lose the glow.
2: alone. Now Moses was the pastor of three million backslidden people. They were bothering him, uh, they were complaining, they were criticizing him. Remind me of a pastor who said, I don't mind being swallowed by a whale. I just hate to be nibbled to death by minnows. And that's what was happening to Moses. And God says to Moses, now leave these people. Get alone with me. It's very important because you understand that later on Moses is going to intercede for those same people that he was getting away from. Did you know the best time I spend for you is not when I'm with you talking to you about God, but when I'm with God talking to God about you? Did you know that? Do you know the best time that you are for your children is not necessarily when you're with your children, but when you're not with your children,
1: talking to God about your children and those problems that you have. Whoa, 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 whoa. The best time you are for your children is when you're not with your children. It's when you're talking to God about your children. Yeah, ask any kids, hey, my mom and dad was never around because they were always praying for me. I, I, but I, I really wish they would have been around. I don't. I, I know he doesn't mean it that way, but that, that's, yeah, okay.
2: ...that you need to isolate yourself from and get alone with God. Pastors need to get alone with God. Sometimes people are disappointed because the pastor is not always there. They're beck and call. I want to tell you something, folks. The man of God who's always available isn't worth a whole lot when he is available. There are times... When you need to be alone with God, and not just pastors, parents, not just parents, Sunday school teachers, wherever you are, if God has given you a responsibility, you need to get alone with God. Jesus taught us that. What did Jesus say? When you pray, what? Enter into your closet and pray. Now, he didn't mean a closed closet. He meant a closed place, a place where you shut the doors and open the window to heaven. Get alone with God. If you'll study the history of people in the Bible who have been blessed and had therefore been a blessing, these are people who met God in a place of isolation. Abraham was alone when the Lord spoke to Abraham and gave him that great covenant. Daniel was alone when God spoke to him and gave him a prophecy.
1: So are you claiming the reason God gave Abraham the covenant is because Abraham had de- decided to spend time alone with God? That guy was like, you know, I don't. What? Hey, guys, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, look, 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 look. See Abraham over there? He's isolated and he's alone. Let's make a covenant with him. I think God determining to make a covenant with him was done in eternity past. Like that, that. That. That's. That's close to just insane. I know that's not how he would mean it, but that's how he just inferred that. Hey. Hey. Look, look at who, when God blesses people is when they're isolated. See, God made that covenant with Abraham when he was isolated. It had nothing to do with this isolation when God made the covenant. God had determined to make the covenant. Oh, man, there's this thing. Oh, man, there's some problems here. All right, let's continue.
2: See, Paul was alone in Arabia where God gave him the epistles, the great things that he wrote down for us in the book of Romans. Peter was alone on a rooftop when he had a vision and God spoke to Simon Peter up there about Cornelius and opening the door to the Gentiles. John was alone on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day when God gave him the book of the Revelation. Moses was alone in the wilderness when God gave him the Ten Commandments. And the Bible tells us about the greatest example of all, the Lord Jesus, in the midst of a busy, fruitful ministry where miracles were being done, Withdrew himself to the wilderness to pray. Determination, it must be there. Friend, preparation, it must be there. Isolation, it must be there. When you pray, enter into your closet and pray. Now here's the next thing if you want that conscious presence of God, and that is expectation.
1: Notice now beginning Okay, now we have to have expectation. We have to have expectation. We got to expect it so that we can get. Now, again, he's not explaining how we don't have a conscious presence of God, even though God dwells inside of us. And even though God is inside of us, he can't make us conscious of himself. We have to do it. And the only way we can make ourselves conscious of it is we have to be determined. We have to prepare. We have to prepare. um, We have to isolate. And we have to have expectancy. We have to expect it. All right, let's see. Let's see if he's going to get us to a text after Moses loses the glow, because I want to see the text telling me how Moses... Moses got it back
2: in verse four, and he, that is Moses, hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. Now, why did he hew two tables of stone? Well, he expected God to give him something to put on them. And Moses rose up
1: early in the morning. Didn't he hew two tables of stones because God told him to? (laughs) Exodus 34, verse one. And the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two tables of stone. And he's like, why did Moses do it? Because he expected something. Didn't he do it because he was obeying what God told him to do? How do you get an expectancy from that, an expectation? He was doing literally what he was told to do.
2: And went up into Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand uh, uh, the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now Moses went up there to find out something from God, and he got a revelation. God.
1: Well, okay, I don't know how he's making this about expectancy. God told him, do this, and he did exactly what he was commanded. He's like, God just, uh, Moses just went up there expecting something. He went up there doing what God told him to do. So why, why, if you're going to really use the text of this, why wouldn't you call this the next thing to get the presence of God back is obedience? Why wouldn't you say that instead of expectancy? Okay,
2: all right, let's continue. God spoke to Moses, and God said, to Moses, I'm going to give you something. I want you to be prepared to take it down, take with you two blank tablets. I wonder, when you have a quiet time, are you expecting God to give you something? I mean, when you open the Word of God, do you expect to learn? I have two kinds of pens. I don't know why, but I have this one that I pull out if I'm with you, but I have this one that I pull out when I'm by myself. This is a flare, just an old felt tip pen. It can be any kind, but this kind I like to chew on because I meditate by chewing on this thing. I'm glad I don't smoke cigars, but that's the closest thing I get to it. I would hardly ever think to open my Bible to read without taking this out or something like this. And a yellow legal pad to read the Bible. Because I expect to get something when I read the Bible.
1: And folks, it's easy. What in the world does that have to do with Exodus chapter 34? Like, where is this stuff coming from? I, I man, 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 man. Remember, I, I told you when we started this for on today's focus and then we moved it over here. I told you, look at Exodus 33 and 34 and what do pastors do with these texts? This is just a total annihilation, obliteration, manipulation, rewriting. It's like treating Exodus 30, 33 and 34 like Plato and you just turn it into whatever you want. It's, this is like, this is really bad. For me to forget what I get.
2: Amen. Let me tell you something. The weakest ink is better than the best memory. You will think you will never forget it, but you will forget it. And if you come to God and you expect God to give you something, be ready to write it down. And you'll be surprised how it will clarify your mind when you write it out.
1: No, wait a minute. So how does this work? So I go in, I got a pencil and then I got a notepad and God is going to give me something. Like, what do you mean? He's going to give me something. What, What? How does this work now? All right, 2,000 years of church history, we got Christians, let's say everywhere, with a notebook and a Bible, and God's going to give us something. Now, whatever God gives us, obviously, there there would be certain characteristics. Whatever God gives you, there would be certain characteristics of what he gives you, right? Because it comes from God. Number one, it would be infallible. Number two, it would be true. Number three, it would be without error. All right, we we could add more to it, but it would be infall it would be infallible. It would be true. It'd be without error. There would be some of the basic qualities of it. Well, if every Christian is getting infallible, truthful, without error information from God after two thousand years, there should be one denomination, one commentary, and ever and 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 one Bible. I mean, for crying out loud, why can't the translators do this? Right? The translators, are like, we're getting ready to enter into the translation process. We have one. Why do we have fifty bazillion? in different translations. (laughs) But you're going to go, you're going to go into the study with a notebook and, and this is the notebook. God is going to give you something. No, you know what you're doing? You're studying a written text. You're thinking and you're writing down your thoughts. If you say God gave you those thoughts, then you're claiming those thoughts are infallible and true and without error. Stop blaming God for what you have written in your notebooks. Pastors, stop blaming God for your sermons. Hey, Bible uh, commentators, stop blaming God for your commentaries. It would be one commentary because God would give everyone the same information. Writing helps you to think clearly
2: and to put things down cogently. It writes it not only upon the paper, it writes it upon your heart. It helps you to organize these things. You see, if you're expecting God to give you something, get ready for God to give you something. Somebody said, when you go to a prayer meeting to pray for rain, you ought to bring an umbrella. Isn't that right? When you have a quiet time, you ought to have a notebook. Now, I've given you a little formula
1: before to call now, look, I absolutely believe you should have a notebook. I actually believe you should write things down. I'm, I am 100% in agreement with that. But it's not because God is going to give you something. It's because you're studying his word. And by writing it down it activates a part of the brain that's differently you're engaging a part of the brain it's going to increase your memory and it's allowing you to work it out and to, and in fact the best way to see what is in the text is to write it on the text the best the best pair of glasses you can have is a pencil Right, it give, it, because by writing it down makes you observe what's in the text. It has nothing to do with some supernatural mysticism that God is giving you something. You're reading something and you're thinking about it and you're writing it down. And guess what? It's filled with all of your thoughts and all of your ideas are filled with error. They're it's they are fallible and they they're very high probability. They contain a mixture of truth and error. But if you say God gave it to you. This is why this is why Christians are the way they are because they believe everything they think came to them from God. Therefore, they're always right.
2: Cause the Bible just simply to burst a flame in your hand. But what do you do with a passage of Scripture? This is so indescribably simple. I hate to give it to you, and yet it is profoundly wonderful and has
1: blessed me through many, many years. What do you do with a passage of Scripture? Well, I know this. If what, you, what you're about to tell us to do with scripture is what you do that led to this utterly abomination to Exodus 33 and 34, then I'm going to recommend no one listen to you. I'm just going to be blunt about that because what you have done to Exodus 33 and 34 is an abomination of basic hermeneutical principles, right? You've given us a concept that supposedly this what you're trying to teach us is how to get the glow back because Moses lost the glow, and then you go in the text before Moses lost the glow, and you're yet to go to when Moses lost the the glow to show how Moses got the glow back and then you go to before Moses even lost the glow demonstrating that all these things that Moses did didn't matter because he still lost the glow and you're not even explain that or even dealt with that reality
2: just open the Bible read it through all right now jot this down on a piece of paper read it through read it through number two think it out why would the Lord Renew your mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, if he didn't expect you to use it.
1: Okay, I, I got no problem with the reading part. What does he mean? Think it out? Let, 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 let's let's I'm gonna fix this. Read it. Number two, observation. Observe it. What do we mean by observe it? Who was it written to? When was it written? What was going on at the time? What was the... You're just doing observation. You don't try to interpret. You don't even try to understand its meaning. You just do the observation. Who, what, where, when, how. That's what you do. You read it. You observe it. He wants you to read it and think think about it. Okay, think it out or think it through. Okay, all right. What is he going to say about this thinking out process?
2: So read it through.
1: Think it out. Then... Pray it in. Okay, he doesn't tell me what thinking out means. Thinking out, think it out to me means you're leading to some kind of interpretation. You don't read and interpret. Let me state that again. Anytime anyone says read it and interpret it, run for your life. That will lead you to straight up heresy. You cannot read and interpret. You have to read and observe. The quality of your interpretation depends on the quality of your uh, the quality of your observation. We've talked about this over and over in the Bible study exercise. You have to become an expert at biblical observation. You've got to learn observational Bible study methods. Bible study is 99.9% observation. You can't ever even enter into the world of interpretation until you have spent hours doing observation.
2: Talk to God about it. One of the finest ways to learn the scripture is to pray the scriptures. When God tells you something in the Bible or shows you something in the Bible, uh, tell him about it. Ask
1: him about it. Thank him for it. Ask him about it. So, so exa- exactly how this works. Hey, Lord, there's passages about baptism. So who should be baptized? Um, is, is it a, a requirement for salvation? and do ba are babies supposed to be baptized okay everyone asked him everyone asked god tonight that question everyone now i would assume if every christian on the planet on november the 23rd would ask god about what the passages mean about baptism by november the 24th We'll go November the 25th because of different time zones. By November the 25th, every person, every Christian on the planet who asks that should all arrive at the exact same answer. So by November the 26th or November the 27th, all of Christianity should now be unified on baptism. Then the next week we can move to the Lord's Supper. The next week we can move to Arminianism versus Calvinism, semi-Pelagianism. And by by, I don't know, by January. Christianity should be perfectly united on all doctrine because we ask God, and why do we ask God what the passage means? Because supposedly he's going to tell us. Now, well, how could any rational person even suggest that we ask God what a text means? Like, I don't even understand why any rational person could come to such a ridiculous idea because clearly it doesn't work that way because if it did, there would be one denomination, There would be one translation. There would be one commentary. There would be no division. There would be no arguing because God would be giving us all the same answer. (laughs) Christians say, sometimes when I hear Christians talk, I'm just like, do you hear yourself? Do you hear yourself? All right, let's continue.
2: Read it through. Think it out. Pray it in. Write it
1: down write it down being able to take you just Again, I have no idea how, what any of this has to do with Exodus 33 and 34. I don't know what any of this has to do with Moses getting his glow back. I don't know what this has to do anything with me getting my glow back. I guess the only way for me to really get the presence of God is I got to do a lot of stuff. I got to do, do, do. I get, it's all about me, 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 me. There's God inside of me, but he can't get me. He can't give me his presence until I do. It's like it's like the Holy Spirit's inside of me, and he's, he's sitting there watching, and he's like, man, come on. Come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. Spend a little time. Come on, come on. You need to be determined. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got to prepare. Come on, you got to isolate. You got to expect. Come on, you can do it. Oh, 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 yeah. You got to get a Bible. You got to get a notebook. You got to get a place. You got to read. You got to, you got to, you got to read. You got to think. You got to pray. You, you got, you. Uh, I don't even remember the other one. You got to do all of these things. And If you do all of these things, dun, dun dun dun, you will fill my presence. So really, the key to filling the presence of God is all about me. God is just there going, I want you so much to feel my presence, but here's the 36 things you have to do. And if you'll do these 36 things, dun, dun, da, you get my presence. I mean, you already have my presence because I indwell you, but you won't be conscious of my presence until you do the 36 things. You do the 36 things and then you're good to go. I don't know what happens if I stop doing the 36 things. Oh, yeah, now I lose the glow. So I'm in a perpetual state of not knowing if I have the glow because I got to do the things to get the glow. But then I got to keep doing the things so that I don't lose the glow. So I don't even know where I'm at at any point in my Christian life because it's just a never-ending list of do's and don'ts. Verse by verse and
2: just write down the thoughts that God has given me.
1: Oh, boy, there we go. Now I'm going to write down the thoughts God has given me. Now you do understand, once again, the ramifications of this. If God is giving you the thoughts, then those thoughts are infallible, true, and without error. If that's the case, then you can never be wrong in Bible study. Then, next,
2: live it out. This is the way that it really becomes real to you. When you find something in the Word of God, these promises and these truths are not museum pieces to hang on the wall. They're checks to carry to the bank. Live it out. Take it. Take these promises of God. Take these precepts. Take these warnings and put them in your life. Say, I will live by that today. And then last of all, pass it on. You know, when we, when we meet folks day by day, we ought to have something, a little nugget from the Word to share with them ought to have a little verse, a little truth, something that God has given us. And when we give it away, uh, it comes back to us. That's the secret of remembering anything. That's the reason why pastors are blessed to be able to preach the Word of God. When I preach the Word of God to you, it does probably more good for me than it does for you. And it's not that I'm just up here telling you what to do. Every time I put that finger out, three are pointing back at me. <laughs> and and this is God's Word to me. And as I share it with you, it becomes so real in my heart Well, we can do the same thing day by day with our friends as we share the word of God. So when you have this quiet time, you get alone, you have this
1: determination, you have this preparation, you have. So when it comes down to it, you, you get the glow back by having a daily quiet time. That's what it comes down to. I, I, so Moses, man, you should have been spending some time with God. You should, you should have, if all, if all, if Moses would have simply spent time with God now, but, but wait a minute, all of the spending time with God leading up to 34 wasn't sufficient for him to keep the glow. Where did he lose the glow? So, so once again, I'm, 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 I'm not giving you answers. I need you to find me in Exodus 33, 34, where Moses loses the glow. Does the text in any way say, say that it's a bad thing? And then show me where Moses continued to wear the glow in order to hide the fact that he did not lose the glow. And why did he deceive the people? And then how did Moses get his glow back? Or and again, glow is there's just how did he get back the presence of God? All right. Oh. <laughs> Okay, good catch. I'm sitting here still baffled by this whole thing and someone caught. When you give a verse away, it comes back to you. I, I guess, I, I don't know what it, it, it does. I guess, I don't know. I give it away and boom, it comes back and hit me. I, I don't know how that works. I'm still baffled by the whole, this this is supposed to be a, a text on how Moses lost his glow and how he got it back. And it's really turned into how I I, I can get my glow back But he's using the, I don't know, he's using the scriptures before Moses even lost the glow. But once again, my challenge to everyone, and I really want everyone to participate in this. Find me in Exodus 33 and 34. When Moses loses the glow, does the text condemn him for losing the glow? Does it explain why he was wearing the veil to deceive the people? And then how he got it back? And did he ever confess why he was deceiving the people by wearing uh, wearing the, the veil to hide the fact that he had lost his glow? Right That because that this is supposedly what this is all about and it's, but he's I don't even know. We got like three minutes left. Let's finish it.
2: This isolation, have this expectation that God is going to
1: speak to you. Here we go. And God is going to speak to me. Let me state it again. If God is speaking to every believer, then all we have to do is go to our our, our quiet time place. We gotta have our notebook. We gotta have ventilation. We gotta have a pen. We gotta have a legal pad. All right. And then I pray to God about the scriptures. And then God is gonna talk to me. He's gonna give me something. He's gonna speak to me. It's like whenever, whenever I explain this, some Christians just don't understand what I'm saying, and they get so confused. But but and and there's a part of me that times get frustrated when people start having like they don't understand it because I I don't know what they don't understand because all I have to say, like, if they really thought about why would they even, like, they have to realize how broken their concept is because they have to realize what I could do. Well, oh, oh wait, wait, give me a second. All right, I just, I just, I just, I just talked to God. I just talked to God. And oh, yeah, he, um, he just told me that you're wrong. So there you go. Right? Like the fact that you think one thing and I think one thing, which seem to indicate that God is not speaking to one of us, right? Because if God is speaking to both of us, we should be on the same page. So if you believe you're a Christian and I believe I'm a Christian and God is speaking to you and God is speaking to me, then we should believe the exact same thing. How come we don't believe the exact same thing? I know because you don't think God is talking to me. He's only talking to you, which you see how spiritually arrogant that is. And everyone else who disagrees with you, oh yeah, I guess what? God is, so I guess then what, sometimes what I want to tell people who argue with me is like, well, then fine. Okay, God speaks to you. He doesn't speak to me. I'm going to step down. I'm not going to do podcasting anymore. I'll send you all of my equipment and and I'm going to step down as pastor. So you need to come to Texas because, or no, or just wherever you start your church, everyone will come to your church. Everyone will listen to you, will read your commentaries, and listen to your podcast, because you're now the infallible source of all truth. And when I say that, people get offended, like, I'm not saying that. Well, yes, you are, because you're telling me God speaks to you and supposedly leads you into truth. So therefore, everything he says to you is infallible, true, and without error. I'm not making that claim. 2,000 years of church history. We don't agree on one thing. We don't agree on anything within Christianity. Clearly, he's not talking to us. Do you two tablets of
2: stone? Well, if you don't want to do that, go down to Walgreens and get a notebook. And be prepared for God to speak to you.
1: (sighs) Go get you a notebook. Hurry up, everyone. Look, look, I know it's Thanksgiving, Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving, and I know you're all excited about turkey and football and family and whatever. People get excited about movies, uh- Uh, you know, I don't know, you're going to binge watch something, whatever you're going to do, by all means, enjoy it. But just remember, what you should do is immediately get to Walgreens or wherever you get your notebooks, go get them really fast and then run home. And then you can say, everyone, look, everyone in this family claims to be a Christian, right? Okay. Well, instead of watching football tonight, we're all going to sit. We're going to make sure we got good ventilation, right? We're going to make sure we got our notebooks. We're going to make sure our pens, all right? Everybody listen, listen, listen. Okay. Right. What did God say to you? What did God say to me? What did God say to you? What did God say to me? And then look and just see how much in agreement that everyone is that what God's, I mean, why, if God is talking to you that way, he say, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not the one who preaches this stuff. I'm not the one who teaches this stuff. He's the one who said, get the notebook and prepare, be prepared for God to speak to you. Well, then what he's saying by definition, would have to be infallible, true, and without error. Well, how come everyone in your house in your own house? If I if I get to my church tonight, like okay, everyone, everybody got a notebook, okay, everyone break up into different parts of the church. Go back to the back hallway, all the different classrooms. Go to the classroom. Someone can go to the nursery. Someone could go to the library. Someone can be in the hallway. A couple of people can be in the sanctuary. Someone can sit in the sound booth. Someone can come up there by the pulpit. If you need to go outside, you can sit outside on the back little, like, uh, the handicap uh, walkway that comes up into the back door. You can sit there. You can get in your car. You can walk across. You can go out behind the church. You can go in. It. You can just walk through. Well, there's nothing to walk through in Ovalo. You can just wander around the countryside with your notebook, and then we'll all meet back here in 45 Five minutes, and everybody walk back in and say, okay, stand up and tell me what God told you, what God told you. It would be, it would be theological insanity is what it would be. But yet everyone would think, no, hopefully nobody in my church, everybody would be like, God doesn't talk to us that way. He only talks to us through his word. And so I would have to go find the text, study the text, observe the text, then work on an interpretation, and then realize my interpretation is, is not, uh, is, is not infallible, but fallible, and that my interpretation has error in it. So, so yeah, everyone, hopefully, everybody in my church would know the correct answer. But many Christians think that. Um, okay, uh, someone just said uh, that's how prophecy is done. Try to get a word from God uh, at an event, etc. That, well, that is true. That is true. That's how. That's how. I mean, I've seen, I've heard it in sermons. I mean, I just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And again, this, this is from Exodus 33 and 34. I don't even know how in the world, like, how does a pastor reach that kind of sermon? Like, if I read Exodus 33 and 34 for 5,000 years, every day, 50 times, I would never be able to, I don't even know how this sermon even came about. How do, how do you end up with this sermon on Exodus 33 and 34? I don't even know how it's humanly possible.
2: Now, here's the next thing. After that expectation, there comes that adoration. You see, God spoke to Moses. God gave Moses one of the most incredible, concise revelations of his nature and character. You say, well, I already knew that. Do you know why you knew it? Because God gave it to Moses. And Moses recorded it. You didn't think it up. I mean, this is heavy-duty stuff. But now, when Moses has this revelation, what does he do? Look in verse 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped adoration. Now, on the basis
1: of truth, he worships. I do agree that on the basis of truth, we worship. But if you're going to worship based on what God supposedly told you and you wrote down on a Walgreens notebook... (laughs) then you're not worship on the basis of truth. You're worshiping on the basis of your own delusion.
2: We worship God how? In spirit and in truth. Real worship is intelligent worship based on the revealed word of God.
1: Right, the revealed word of God. Scripture. Scripture, but you still haven't shown me where Moses lost the glow, where Moses deceived everyone by continuing to wear the veil. And you yet to show me one principle on how Moses got it back. You have shown me principles that Moses was following before he lost the glow, which seems to tell me that even if I do these things, I could still lose the glow.
0: Well, aren't you grateful for this profound and yet practical lesson that we
1: grateful? You need me 50 things to do and, and, and on top of trying to find proper ventilation.
0: We can apply to our lives today. We're going to hear the conclusion of this message coming up tomorrow on the broadcast, but if you want to know more about
1: how to mature in your walk with Jesus, go to our website and click... If you want to know how to mature in your life with Jesus, learn how to read Exodus 33 and 34. Alright, we're going to stop there. It's one hour and 13 minutes. That took forever. You know what this means. We're gonna to have to review part two. Because it would be unfair not to review part two. No, we're not gonna do it right now. And the only reason it would be unfair is because I ask, I keep asking the questions about well, when did Moses lose the lose the glow? Why did he deceive the people? How did he get it back? I'm assuming in part two, he's got to get that, right? He's got to get to that, right? He has to. So I'm gonna, I'm going to set aside my cynicism my skepticism, I'm going to set it aside, and I'm going to hope and be- and believe that Adrian Rogers did get to those answers that I keep asking, but I still want yours. So email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I, I don't have anything profound to say other than Christians, please, I beg you, when you say crazy things, take it to its logical conclusion. Just think about what you're saying. Just think, if I say this, what what would that mean? Like, if 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 what you're saying is true, what would that mean for Christianity? If God is leading us into truth, what would that look like? If God is giving me power, what would that look like? Just take you, just assume you're right. Just whatever conclusion you have, just assume you're right, and now just take it to its logical conclusion, and then look around and go, well, wait a minute. If that was happening, and what are you saying about yourself? You're claiming that, uh, that your thoughts come from God, so therefore you're infallible. You're, everything you think is true, and, and you're without error. That's a massive claim. You're th- you're telling me you have a power that I don't possess. Don't tell me. Show me. Those are, those are just, man. I, I, I just, I'm just, I am literally like, what, I don't know, like, where, where, where did Adrian, Adrian Rogers go to school at? Let me, let me find out really quick. Cause sometimes I, I question the validity of seminary education. I really do. Um, you see Adrian, where did he go to school? Where did he go to school? Adrian Rogers, where did he go to school? Where did he go to school? Adrian Rogers, where did he go to school? Let's see here. He went, um, he graduated from Stetson University uh, and New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, if you went to seminary and you come out and you put together a sermon on Exodus 33 and 34 that obliterated any meaningful dealing with the text, I call into question, the the money people spend to go to seminary. I, I'm just I'm just going to call it right now. I just I, I don't get it. And I've heard millions of sermons preached by people who went to seminary, and you're just like, what did, What did this do? With the, what did they do with that text? What did they do with the text? What did they do with the text? What? Did, I, I I know this sounds. I probably should not say this, but I think in many cases, what we try to do for the Bible study exercise as far as just learning how to handle the text, is more valuable than what a lot of uh, seminaries do. And, and, I, and I don't say that because, I, be, I just make sure you understand, I'm not saying that because I'm doing anything great. If you, if you listen to the Bible study exercise, it's I'm not doing anything. I'm just saying, hey, God, let's do this, let's work on this, let's think about this, let's look at the text, let's question this, let's look at this, text, 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 let's work on this, let's struggle with this, look this up, look at this, let's look at this. And, and it's just making us work on the text. I, all I'm doing is guiding you and trying to get you to work on the text. Well, obviously, nobody got him to actually work on Exodus 33 and 34 in any even meaningful way to end up with that kind of sermon. I I, I just... I guess I'm going to start charging $20,000. I'm I'm going to, what, $500 a a semester hour? Is that what, a credit hour? Is that what we're going to do? Like, I need to start doing something because that's crazy that he went to seminary and that, I don't even know what that was. All right, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We'll be live streaming again at 7 I don't think I can get another uh, podcast episode done before then because I've got to let my iPad charge and I don't have a plug here where my iPad sits next to me. Well, I don't really, yeah, maybe I could. I don't know. Um, We'll see. Newsif at yahoo.com. If I can't get one before, maybe after I can do kind of a late late night uh, podcast episode tonight. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see. All right. Thanks for listening. 7 p.m., We'll be live broadcasting from Victory Baptist Church, and we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper tonight. Thanks for listening. God bless.